Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we listen to an artist, sometimes a band, but this week an artist, and then we talk about him. This week we're talking about Joanna Newsom. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... I'm Dax. Jared. And this is Tyler. And again, this week we're talking about Joanna Newsom and how did everybody feel about listening to the music of the most popular harpist on the planet, Joanna Newsom. Indeed, she is. That's up for debate, but I'll oh, you want to get you want to get into this now? Don't get don't debate Larry the King. I think the Harp Twins have more views than Joanna Newsom, making them more popular. But I mean, Joanna Newsom is probably more. How many are there? How many what? There's only two twins. They're, yeah, they're twins. There's he said two of them. He said harpist. Ooh. We're, we're not living in the world of plurals. Okay. Dax. I'll give it to you. It's a singular world we live in. I'll give it to you. Don't make him mad or he'll, he'll get harpist. Very good. <laughs> God. That's terrible. That was, so that was quite that a good was one. Terrible. I'm on Jared's side for this one. Thank you. Ding, ding. Anyway, so how do we feel about listening to the music of Joanna Newsom? I thought it was interesting. Interesting? It was difficult as well. Mm-hmm. But not bad. Okay. It's good. I enjoyed it, but it can be quite taxing. I think especially the third album. Have one on me. Have one, yeah, I think that can be pretty taxing. Due to times. the length of it or the... the... Uh, well, definitely the length, but I think that's the album where things start to... That's where she kind of first makes a foray into more of a folk sound out of the sure what we call baroque pop or it's really kind of like a specified art pop sound yeah and it kind of expands with a lot of sound and i find it to be i find it can be a bit taxing it does take a shift on album 3 i agree yeah. that there are there are a lot more traditional folk sounds that are incorporated into her music as of have one on me right and then leading into divers as well it's definitely not something you can just listen to in the background you really, you really have to try. You like, do. It's just like this wall of sound, and you just have to really break through it. It was, yeah, it was, it was challenging. I it, was super into it, though. Joanna Newsom is not. This is probably one of our more difficult listens of the year, which should not surprise anybody that I picked it for this week of Women's Month. I, I wouldn't find it particularly difficult, necessarily, outside of just that it can sometimes be just strenuous, a lot of noise. Yeah, but I mean the first two albums I find for the first one to be really pretty easy to listen to because it's got a lot of pop sensibilities in it. It was a lot poppier than I thought it was yeah. going to be. And the second one kind of maintains that, although kind of broadens the sound a little bit. And then once it, once she makes a shift into folk, it can be maybe a little more taxing to listen to. But I I still don't I didn't find it particularly difficult. I wouldn't say other than the fact that that album is two hours long. Right, it is a triple album, which makes it again a very right. daunting task all in itself. But Dare, what did you find difficult about listening to Joanna's music in particular? I think probably more the vocal delivery and being able to understand what she is saying. Like, I don't, sure. I didn't dislike her delivery. It's very unique and yes. very interesting. But especially like the lyricism is very obscure. And then the way that she sings it is strange. So when you put those two things together, it's like. That's, and it's it, like you're listening to the music and you're just like the words are being spoken and you have no idea what's being said. <laughs> right. And I'm not like I I can't read the lyrics to every album that we're listening to. You right. know, like so I'm just gonna have to be like, well, 
you know, whatever she's saying, I'm sure it's good. <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, yeah. as with la- last week, it adds another layer, another musical layer. Because the, the way she sings, it's like that, you know, it's a very high-pitched, like maybe slightly nasally, but it's just a high-pitched, interesting voice. And she, it fits she, in with especially harpsichord, which she, on her first albums, she utilizes a lot more. She does not like this term, but she has been. it has been said that her voice is very childlike. Yeah, kind of. I can see that. Yeah. She's not a fan of that, which is understandable. Um, but I don't know. I think that there are a lot of different layers in terms of just the vo- the vocal delivery and, like you're saying, Jared, the lyricism that do make things very different from what you're probably typically used to listening to. Her lyricism is very, like, it's very fantastic and, like, like mythical and strange. And it's also very cryptic where, like, she, you don't – if you actually, if you sat her down and you said, what does this in this line in particular mean, you, she, I'm sure that she would have a hard time describing what those lines mean. It's also relatively wordy in terms of, like – Yes. Her vocabulary is very big. Yes, you know? very so, much so. Like, she's saying words that maybe you don't know. Sometimes, right. you know. I'm going to pull out some lyrics from a random song off of the album Yeast. Uh, I'm not going to do Monkey and a Bear because that one's more of like a story. Because she, she's very story-like in her, her songs. But I'll, I'll do a little bit of the lyrics off of Sawdust and Diamonds, I guess. In uh, the moment I slept, I was swept in a terrible tremor, though no longer bereft how I shook and I couldn't remember. And then the furthermost shake drove a mothering stake in and cleft me right down through my center. And I shouldn't say so, but I know that it was then or never. Push me back into a tree, bind my buttons with salt, fill my long ears with bees, praying, please, please, please love you ought not, no, you ought not. What is going on? Well, <laughs> to, about just bees. That section. to cleft is to split in twain. So, <laughs> ah, I understand. That means now. it. That means in two, because the words come from the same place, Jared. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. But there, the lyricism is very cryptic and strange, and the way that she delivers it makes it even more difficult to understand. So, if you were yeah, but, sitting down to try and understand her lyricism, you really would have to read. It's it. almost like a whole theme because we hear the harpsichord and the harp are instruments that have been used in pop music for a long time but have not been using pop music recently mm-hmm. and so it's kind of interesting to hear it because the, the lyrics and the way that she tells us tells stories it almost seems like fitting you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying with the type of music and the instruments and it seems of old even though the reality is it's not and it and it has modern pop to it but it seems of old in a way so well what quite what interesting kind of- so I, I hear you guys mentioning the pop elements of the music. What do you think about Joanna Newsom's music? Do you think takes on a pop vibe, and not necessarily like what what makes it fit into the pop realm of things? Where it is very, I, I would argue that most of Newsom's music is very different from anything else that you will find. I don't find many other artists who are making music. The, it's not it's not easy to find someone and say oh if you really like Newsom then you should listen to X artist like I think that she stands out in a lot of ways but she does have some pop sensibilities to her music and I'm curious what you think they are I thought that the most um, like the closest thing that we've listened to for sure is Bjork like they're very sure. similar in terms like not 
in terms of like style, I suppose, and just uh, I guess strangeness mm-hmm. and the difficulty of listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the same kind of pop sensibilities that you're talking about, I think that they kind of share that as well. I don't really think of her as pop and very uh, Joanna Newsom. I don't think of her as pop hardly at all. It's this kind of um, folky like old timey music i suppose she's actually um uh one of the genres that's on wikipedia that she's labeled as is freak folk yeah freak folk yeah. which right. i looked into and i found very uh, interesting there's a few different freak folk artists that i listen to uh because of like the their connection and uh those two are uh devandra banhard and vashti bunyan those are two that um i listened to that were very strange the um, Devandra Banhart is a, a Spanish um, kind of a guitarist as well, and he was a part. He was one of the guiding people in the later freak folk movements or whatever, if you will. And I listen to some of this stuff on uh, YouTube, and it's it's like some of it is just kind of regular music, and then some of it is very weird avant-garde. But then the uh, Vashti Bunyan is a female vocalist that had albums in like the 60s and she was like the god woman of freak folk is what they call her Mm -hmm. but a lot of the artists that like are on that list of freak folk are all like the late 60s early 70s artists like it just basically completely died out until the 90s late 2000s where the uh devandra guy came in and then she was kind of linked with that as well Hmm. so that's fine yeah it seems it has its roots in psychedelic folk but and it's all kind of that whole thing is kind of like progressed in a weird way because people have come out all over the place too, in terms of coming into modern day and finding the realm. The bluegrass genre has found something similar to that as well with progress with like a oh uh, a band that, whose name I can't remember. So Punch that's Brothers. very cool. Punch Brothers. Thank you, Jared. Ah uh, yes, Punch Brothers. You know, so it's we've seen like a twisting of some of those things, older styles of music. Although this fits in a, a different well. Her later music, of course, would be closer tied to that type of movement sure. than her her earlier music. Although her, I mean, that's where the shift happens. Her earlier music I've seen described as Baroque pop, for instance, which from what I read briefly on it, takes a little bit of inspiration from the quote-unquote harpsichord solo in In My Life. The Beatles album Rubber Soul is where that was on. And the funny part of it is that's actually just a piano that they sped up the solo of to make it sound like a harpsichord. Oh. Although she uses real harpsichord. Tidbits of fun things. But it's it's weird to see those genres change over time and move into something else. And it's weird to see her career adjust as well because I don't think if I had thought about listening to the first album or even the second album that I would think that she would make a shift that she did on the third album and the fourth album mm-hmm. towards folk and away from, you know, because harp is not a traditional folk instrument. No. And it's not an instrument we often hear in folk music. Well, really, harp is not a traditional, it's not a traditional instrument in any sense of the term, in the phrase. Well, it most like, definitely is there's in, no... in, in European music, and it most definitely is in, in closer to to traditional music in Europe, in a world that's older than our own, for instance. For sure. Well, actually, that's something I want to talk about. Before we get to that, I want to throw to Dax a little bit. Dax, you were talking earlier about different things that it reminded you of. Do you want to bring any of those up? Yeah. So I've been trying real hard to see, like, influences that she was looking to. And, like, the closest things that I could think of are, like, Harry Nielsen. 
uh, Gentle Giant. I, I don't think I don't know if Gentle Giant actually sounds like her, but I feel like she would have listened to them. Uh, I think they even use harp in some songs, but definitely hear, Harry Nilsson. He does some weird stuff vocally. I feel like there's a connection there. I feel like there was somebody else that you mentioned as well. Well, Imogene Heap. Kind yeah, of. that was the one. Uh, oh, yeah. Joan Baez too. Yeah, yeah. I also I think that the one that makes a lot of sense that a lot of people bring up, of course, is Kate Bush, who we've mentioned, I believe, on the Bjork episode. But just Kate Bush being a big influence in art pop in general, um, who at some point we should really sit down and talk mm-hmm. about Kate Bush as well. But we will get there. I think a lot of people have issues categorizing this mm-hmm. and what to do. For instance, I have. She's not available on Spotify, but she is on Apple Music. We will talk about Spotify at some point during this episode. But on Apple Music, the similar artists are Bill Callahan. Okay. Uh, which And Dirty Projectors, which is an odd one. You know, they have some weird sounds, but that's weird. Julia Holter, St. Vincent, Angel Olsen. Yeah, a lot of know. these make sense. Yeah, Vashti Bunyan, of course, would make sense. That probably makes more sense than a lot of it. When you think about Animal Collective and Panda Bear as well, which are kind of... Those are odd suggestions. Yeah, they are. So The one that makes a lot of sense to me is Julia Holter. I'm not sure if anybody else has listened to Julia Holter at all. Julia Holter has a lot of similarities, but Julia Holter, of course, is influenced by Joanna rather than Joanna being influenced by Julia right. Holter. So I think that it's worth talking about the influence that Newsom has had on music because I think that art pop has gone in different directions, which is probably influenced by the fact that her, she, her indie darlingness has probably influenced a lot of artists to make music that sound anywhere in this realm of music. Right. I, I would say, when it comes down to it, though, I would say Holter is probably the one that comes to mind the most as something that if you like Joanna, Joanna Newsom, that you should go listen to sure. Julia Holter. I feel Bill Callahan is on that list simply because they're label mates, probably. Probably. Because she's on she's on um, Drag, Drag City, City, which is home to my beloved Bonnie Prince Billy. True. And Bill Callahan and Smog and Will Oldham on his own, which is Bonnie Prince Billy's true name. Mm-hmm. And a few different kind of oddball artists like this that float around and do their thing. So I would like to talk a little bit, and I think that this one I'm going to have to throw mostly to Tyler, but if you guys have, Jared and Dax, have anything you want to contribute, feel free, but I'm going to take a wild guess that you can relax on this one, is the idea of Baroque pop in general and where Baroque comes into that. Because I know that, Tyler, you are a fan of older forms of music and have a better understanding of music history and I think that this would be a good place to talk about it because really there are a lot of Baroque elements that come from Joanna Newsom's music. And I don't know if you have anything that you'd like to say about Baroque music just in general. I don't know when we will ever have a good opportunity to talk about Baroque sure. music in general. So why, don't they well, just, we... why don't they just make more money? Uh, <laughs> there was your contribution. You're right. It's class. Baroque is a period that's Macy loan for people who can't afford real instruments, so they form them out of now. Thank you, Jared. <laughs> I believed you. you. Did you? That's funny. Uh, so the Baroque era is a is the pre-classical era, and the the big Baroque artists that people would would know would be Bach. Yeah, uh, this is really directly s- after the Renaissance period. Correct? That's in the in that period, yeah, when things begin. And then into well, that's a hair early. This is really like sixteen. 15 late 15 16 and early 1700s mm-hmm. the classical era is really kind of a, an early 1700s in to late 1700s it's really a mashup there's no real uh ranges but for instance mozart beethoven those fellows are classical 
mm-hmm. um, and and Bach and Handel and some people of that nature are Baroque and Baroque folk. I think the Baroque aspect of her music is mostly through instrumentation. For sure, that's what I would assume. The harpsichord is a huge Baroque instrument mm-hmm. that's heard regularly. In the in the classical era, we hear mostly piano and early pianos, but the harpsichord, that's that the twangy piano sounding instrument that you hear. The harpsichord was was I mean Bach had many uh, compositions on that instrument, so I I really feel instrumentation the harp the harpsichord. I'm, I wouldn't say there's any feels outside of the, what those instruments do that uh, really bring you back to the Baroque era. But the pop portion for me, I mean, it's it's easy to see. It's a song structure situation. Mm-hmm. There, the hooks of it are not the way that a Baroque song would be. For instance, a composition may be huge. It could be very long. There are sections to it, you know, and it's made up of multiple different movements that have different speeds and have different time signatures and have different feels and have different hooks built into it and have different long periods that that tie into different things. So I don't think her strong structure really fits into that by any means. Mm -hmm. That's where I think the pop comes in. We see something that's kind of a verse-chorus-verse situation. We see hooks being added at certain points in the songs. You know, we see a typical chord structure that might be closer to, you know, modern music. So I think that's where that comes in. But obviously the instrumentation, especially on the first two albums, especially. harkens back to this type of instruments that we use then. And I don't, I unfortunately didn't get to look at her, whether she's classically trained on any of these instruments or not. I don't know if you, I'm assuming you may know. She is, she was trained classically on harp from the age of like five. She like basically begged to be like, like she wanted to learn how to play, and for I think the first they her parents were like, oh yeah, well, you need to learn like piano first or something like that, and so right. she learned some piano, and then she transitioned to learning how to har- play harp, and then she got really really into playing harp, and that became her biggest instrument. So I would uh, yes, she was classically trained. Sure, and that so that I mean you can't not bring. I'm sure she learned some baroque compositions and even some some compositions from the. Uh, the classical period and some things while she was learning. So it's hard not to, if you're going to choose the harp and you're going to choose these instruments to make more modern music, I'm sure you have to pull from that in terms of how those instruments were used to create sound in, in old compositions. So I think that all of that intertwining is really what gets into her early sound. And I think that's where that label would come from. Although, you know, it, it was probably just given in a what you know in a non-conspicuous way of yeah oh here's something that makes sense to call her because yeah. she's using the harpsichord and she's using, you know right so well, it's I've, not likely that much thought was given to it but i've heard the the term baroque pop being thrown around multiple times and i think that it's one of the lesser understood genres because when you use a term like baroque pop what kind of pop do you mean when you say baroque pop I don't imagine most people probably no. have much of an understanding when they say that. Some, if I were to tell someone, oh, yeah, this is clear, classified as Baroque pop, then they'd be like, oh, okay. So it has a harpsichord in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like So, yeah. 
Um, well, you have chamber music, which I think we mentioned last week a little bit as a, as what some people may call her to an extent, I suppose. But yeah, which I mean, she could be kind of like modern chamber music. Mm-hmm. But chamber music was like chamber music was something that was typically a smaller group of people on mm-hmm. less instruments mm-hmm. that was performed at like a party or something mm-hmm. for for more of an entertainment purposes at a less formal event, which would make a lot of sense for what we've got here. Really. Yeah. So. She's like D and D music, D and D. Yeah, there you go. D and D music again. It is. It, I think that the way that I would describe her first two albums is whimsical. That would be the the big adjective that I would describe her music as. Is it just feels very not? I don't want to say childlike, but it just feels very full of whimsy. It's just very fun. It's very light. It's very like, and it's. it's I think that one. I saw one place they described it as some Disney Pixar shit, and I was like, that's funny. But it sounds, I mean, it does kind of feel like it feels very theatrical and cinematic and feels kind of like the score of a movie in a lot of places. It does. It's very swelling. Let's play a song. Although the, the lyrics don't match for a, Not a childlike, you know. Not There's always. more feeling in it a lot, a lot of times. Yeah. I'll play my favorite because it's off of Yeast, which is my favorite Newsome album. Uh, second album for just uh, you know where to put you at uh, my favorite is probably Only Skin and there was a booming above you at night black airplanes flew over the sea and they were lowering and shifting like Beached whale shells nails as you strained and you squinted to see the retreat of their hairless and blind cavalry. You froze in your It's so hard to pick a clip out of a song, especially off of Yeast, where it's like these giant, like ten minute long. And they're not like it's very interesting the way that she constructs a song because of the fact that like they're like ten minutes long, but it's not like there's like a ton of like musical interludes or anything. It is just continuous. I didn't notice there were only five songs on until I was done listening to it. Right, you you wouldn't notice because the the songs just kind of progress and yeah. move forward, I, and they don't feel like they come to much of a a, a clear shift in terms of just ending. I'm glad you got a part with that squeak and her voice in it. Yes, because this album, she changes the way she sings, mm-hmm. and she it she makes more more noises and more sounds with her voice as she sings. And that squeak, I'm not sure if that's the track that has if it's multiple tracks or if it's just that long track. Of course, because it's you know so long. But I noticed it quite often. It's very interesting the way that she's changed a little bit. So, what do you think about it? Reminds you of D and D specifically. I suppose just the uh, fantasy elements, really. Yeah. It's more like very, I don't know, a lot of fantasy elements in her music. I don't have any more. I've never played D&D. I just thought that's, <laughs> I just that's thought you guys would think it was funny. So I'm just trying to. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to fit in. Like Musically, um, there's a lot of those elements. The lyrics, though, not not so much. What do you get off of the lyrics? Uh, there's just, she she's as much of a writer as she is a musician. Like, she's mm-hmm. she's just putting music to, like, poems. Yeah, right. definitely. Which is very, it's nice. It's nice. I also think that what's interesting about her poetry and her music 
is that in isolation, they're both very, very good. But when you put them together, they don't always feel like, like you don't necessarily listen to the music and feel like the lyrics are perfectly paired with it. It's almost like they're two separate entities that somehow come together. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where like, it's not like there's this, this normal progression where like when you hear a normal song, not a, a nuisance song, you hear like how the flow of the track is following the flow of the lyrics and the way that things are sung. I feel like both are just kind of eclectically moving in their own directions in a lot of way. And they just kind of somehow swell together and like by the end of the product. Yeah. Re- reading the lyrics while listening to it really changes Oh yeah, how, how you feel about it. I did that because I wanted to do that for Monkey and Bear because I knew that that one was going to have some interesting lyrics. Yeah. And when I did it, I was like, this is just such a trip. Like oh, yeah. listening to this and like pairing the words that she's saying, it's just so strange, but so fun. I didn't have as much time to do that as I would have wanted to because I listened to it a lot while I was driving. Right. But uh, when I did, uh, the way she vocally like delivers things matches the lyrics more than the music itself i felt like mm-hmm. she she really paired the vocal delivery to what she was saying more than i expected to when i was listening to it without listening like or without reading the lyrics mm-hmm. i think this is a good place to talk about the the difficulty in terms of being able to listen to the music if anybody would like to talk about their experience in terms of having to listen to newsom elsewhere because we are a big spotify show we like to use our spotify for everything that we do i don't like them you don't like spotify well neither does Newsom. so she is not on spotify she does not believe in their um their strategy for paying artists and their platform yeah their platform so she has chosen not to have her music on spotify she does have one song on there she does. Mm. She does have one, but I, is it a feature or is it her song? Uh, Let's yeah, play it. It's, it's Let's my, play it. Yeah, that's <laughs> my favorite song by her. Let's Go ahead and play it. So that is the only track that is under Joanna Newsom's name on Spotify. Uh, Waka Waka. Waka Waka. It looks like she worked with Feist on that soundtrack. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. But yeah, so she does not have her music other than the Muppet Show theme <laughs> from the mo- from the Muppet movie of 2011. Yes. Written by Mr. Jason Siegel. Yes. Which I would assume... Potentially, I don't know. And the relationship get... between her, uh, the whole Andy Samberg yeah, thing. Yeah, she is married to Andy Samberg, famed comedian and uh, SNL, SNL alum. alum. Yes. And so most likely kind of some of his friendships potentially have helped her a little bit. He's a musician. Oh, um, uh, yes, that's true. He He's is, in the Lonely Island. He is a musician. That is true. Um, so I, anyways, back to the Spotify thing. Yes. Her music is not on Spotify. She's not opposed to streaming. That's not her her thing. Like her music is on uh, YouTube Music, which is how I listen to it, and her music is on Apple Music, which is how Mr. Tyler listened to it. 
So, but her, I like, she's obviously getting compensated well, at least for her own standards, to be on those. And she feels like the money that Spotify gives that, you know, 20 cent check that they send in the mail, right, is not, you know, the, the her music is worth more to her than that, like her artistic integrity. So right. that's why she's chosen not to have her music on Spotify. So I did a preview, a, a month preview of YouTube music to be able to listen to it this week. So. That's what I had to do. Dax, how did you listen to the music on YouTube? <laughs> I, I also listened to it on YouTube. Thank you for telling our listeners. I also listened to it on YouTube. So that's Not where I first me. that's where I originally started listening because that that was one of the reasons that held me back from listening to New Sims music was the fact that it was going to be difficult for me to sit down and actually listen to it. And I finally had an opportunity where I could sit down and just play a YouTube video and I was like, "Where have I been? How did you uh, find Miss Joanna Newsom? Was it Mr. Mellon? Uh, no, it was not Mr. Mellon. Actually, uh, just it, just searching, doing a lot of popular re- album, yeah, critical reviews, pitchfork things. Well, she is an independent music darling. She, her music, all four of her albums are highly, highly praised. There's very, very little in terms of critics or people who are big music fans. Because, like, again, I use my my website album of the year, and across the board, all four of her albums have very high ratings, both user and critic reviews. And so it was kind of a standout to me of, well, if there are four albums that are all very highly praised, there's something about this artist that I should probably look into. I really wasn't familiar with her until um, late last year. So I had been missing out on her for a really long time. So all of her albums had been out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Yeast around record stores. Have you? Mm -hmm. That's where I first first ran into her there and i'm sure i saw her on drag city because i frequent that website every once in a while to check yeah. out on some artists yeah but i remember seeing her that album around i guess when i think about i guess that's the only one i've really seen around probably because it's i don't know i don't know if it would be the most popular one you think it would be the most popular of their releases or what do you think is the most popular? specifically yeah probably yeast is a very very popular album and in terms of an independent label, of course, it's not necessarily like a massive release or anything. Well, no, but which I one is was, most popular, you think, of hers? Uh, Yeast was the most popular. The highest selling was Divers. Yeah. So, But I think Yeast was probably the highest charting, I think. It was like 133 on Billboard 200 or something like that. It wasn't high because, again, it's an independent album well, from sure. an independent artist. But it at least made some kind of ground. It's interesting that that's her most popular because in the in the context of her career of her four albums there's not a lot but it's kind of like a one it's a one and only. Yeah. The second her you know the last two albums once she makes the shift to a f- more folky sound are kind of a little more similar. Yeah. But that album stands out very much. As a weird transition or really to me it's kind of like a swelling of the sound from her initial release. Yes. So it stands out as something that I don't think you, I mean, you're not going to hear from what I think a Joanna Newsom album that she continues to make music that sounds like that ever again. Right. Uh, do you guys have favorite albums out of the four? Or did it all kind of just like blend to you? Mm, mine is probably Milky Eyed Mender, most likely. It's my mm-hmm. favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Divers was actually not too bad. I liked uh, the the end of the album, which you know, surprising considering. I normally when I get to the end of somebody, 
I'm over it. You're burnout. But yeah. the last few tracks on that album I actually enjoyed more than you know some of the other stuff from the other albums. So was your favorite track one of the final ones off of Divers? N- no, my favorite track is uh, Peach Player, Peach Pear Plum. Oh yep. man, that that's was... a good choice. Hmm. Was that yours was that as yours well, Dax? Yeah. Do you want me to? No surprise. You can combine. I don't care. We can have the same one. It's okay. Well, how else would we play another song though? You can pick I've another got song if yeah. you want. That's I've got a couple more we can play. Too. We can find different things. This is our joint favorite song, me and Dax. Peach Flavor Plum was Plum. my, I think it's my favorite off of Milk Eyed. It's probably, it's tied for me on that album with the Book of Ride On. Although I thought Swansea was also really good. No, actually, mine's Sprout and the Bean. That's I'm a, trying to remember which one. That, I, I think it's down. her most popular song. Sprout and the on Bean. On YouTube, yeah. Which I, it was the single and it had a music video. Yeah. So that was, you know, one, probably one of the, it's like 3.4 million, you know, and, and like nothing else really comes close to it right here is peach plum pear Get to like the end of it where she says peach plum pear. Would sure. that be the worst thing ever? <laughs> nope, we can do that at the very end. That was fun. It is fun. Did she miss a note there? Nah. Sounded like weird. She doesn't dissonant. intentionally miss notes. She's baroque. Sounded weirdly dissonant from the rest of the thing. Though. There's nothing wrong with dissonance. I maybe mean, she was like using didn't. some. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she was using some uh, auto tune. She only used auto tune once, Jared. <laughs> that song. Uh, I feel like I've heard it in a movie, and I can't think of it. Well, not a common movie. I feel like I've heard it in like The Science of Sleep or something like that. Mm. But I tried to look, and I couldn't figure anything out. So I'm pretty disappointed. That might be her. Most poppy song, to be honest with you. It's I think pretty you close. might be right. And again, I not to bring her up again, but it sounds very much kind of like a Julia Holter song. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I could see that being one of the more. Well, I think that just in general, the Milk Eyed Mender is a little bit more poppy. The Definitely songs is. are a little shorter. It's a little bit more direct in terms of there being a verse chorus kind of system. Uh, I think that the, just the sound in general is a little bit, I would say a little bit more toned back where she's not doing so many different things again she's using harp she's using harpsichord and so it sounds very different sounds very unique but it's not it's not like have one on me or divers which puts in a lot of like folky instrumentation and it's not like yeast which has a lot of this like huge swelling like string orchestral it's more minimal it's definitely more minimal yeah so but i thought it i thought this is probably my second favorite of hers Mm-hmm. And well, this and Yeast were were pretty close mm-hmm. for favorite albums. And then, to be honest with you, have one. Uh, what do we have? Have one on me. Is the third album. Have one on me. That's I did find it to be kind of taxing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't dislike it, 
but uh, I think I definitely would need more time with it to say that I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced. That's kind of a weird album because I'm not convinced it's worth it to create two hours worth of music. That's a triple album instead of just releasing three EPs or three shorter length albums. You know, you can create three 40 minute albums out of that album almost. Sure. Well, and I, don't I'm not, I don't know how I feel about her choice to do that. Well, it, I don't know. I don't, the, the thing that I think is important about thinking about the length of an album is the timeline and how long it's been since you've had any kind of music and the timeline of how long it is until you have more music. The, the distance between yeast and have it on me is like a four year gap. So that's four years worth of music that she had been writing and putting together. And theoretically she could have put maybe an album out before then, but maybe that's just how those all creatively flowed together was just in one big project. And then again, you don't have divers for another five years. So it's not as that I know it's taxing, but if you think about when, when the album came out at the time, if you send out a, a triple album, two hour release of music, then it gives the listeners at the time, because obviously we listen to it in a big like burst of music, but most people would listen to Have It On Me, and they wouldn't get any more Joanna Newsom for five years. Sure. So maybe that is like... Maybe. I mean, it's in all honesty, it's not particularly uncommon to have a release every four years. There are plenty of artists that have been creating music for decades who have a four-year release or you know something like that. Yeah. Release structure, that's really not particularly uncommon. And it's also not uncommon to write like two albums worth of music in one album's, you know, in the period of creating one release Mm -hmm. and holding back songs and choosing an album based off of the number of songs and holding stuff back for a release next year or the year after that, Mm -hmm. where you want to come back in and kind of have a different hash out in the creativity of those things. So, I mean, like these are all choices that artists make in today's world. And in fact, I feel like even right now, artists probably release music a little more regularly maybe they feel like because we our minds are moving away from people so quickly we can stream things so quickly right i don't know if that plays into it of like i've got to have something every couple years so people pay attention to me sometimes every year right yeah or what it is but you know i don't know what 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 it is (laughs) is that what you did he did it. I didn't do it what'd you do i just looked at him Uh, because i knew we all had the same thing in our mind what it is is? so uh So she may have chosen, maybe that was her choice to do it, but I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that decision. For sure. me, at the moment, it, it's not working. Do you think that but, the music justifies it in terms of, like, do you think that there's enough, like, distinctly different music no. across the two hours? Nope. Okay. I definitely don't at the moment because I tell you, that album really felt, especially early on, I don't dislike the sound that she went to. Mm-hmm. I think it's fine. I like the folkness that she did, and I like it's like an expanded folk sound, you know? Sure. Folk is a simple, more minimal type of music. A guitar, maybe harmonica, a couple other things, and the voice is a little more prominent in folk songs, what we think of as folk songs. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're kind of like good old boys sitting on the porch doing things, or various, you know, people who have easier means to get something and then just, do, you know, create something. So it's a very swollen sound. I like where she's going, but the distinction wasn't there for me in this listen. Now, maybe when I go back, because I didn't have time to listen to two hours twice. Right. So when I go back and listen to it again, maybe I'll appreciate it a little bit more. Maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe it'll find its place for me. Yeah. But I will admit that Divers, I really liked. And it's not a super different sound, but it's a super different album. It is a very different album. I think that the distinction between Divers and Have It On Me is that Have It On Me is just so massive. And I think that she takes a similar sound and tones down 
the giganticism of all of it. I think that she makes something that had a much bigger sound and just in general was a very big album and she, you know, condensed it. Where like a lot of her songs are typically, you know, these long winded 10 minute long affairs for the most part on divers they're shorter they're closer to maybe like a four minute five minute long song so they take a little bit less time to build and they do a little bit less in their instrumentation and their delivery the song length is really interesting to me because on yeast she's got five songs and they're very long it reminds me of some of the that those in between albums from floyd Mm -hmm. right where you get kind of like a four album song and it does its own it has like a thing that it does so it's very interesting but then when you get to have one on me, mm-hmm. each individual, you know, it's a, it's a triple release. You can split that up, like I said, kind of into 40-minute sections. It doesn't fit perfectly into that. Of course, it's adjustments. Sure. But there's like eight songs per section almost. Mm-hmm. So that's like a standard album. They're like five minutes long. So they're really not that long. Some of them are longer than others, and that makes, you know, it, it's there's a dynamic there. Sure. But on average, she hasn't done this long song thing again. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird to think that she doesn't have such super long songs in that album that requires that type of of a release. I mean, it must have just been a choice. But like I say, then once you get over into her her latest release, Divers, Divers, I just it it just really did it for me. And they're kind of yeah. returning back to a period of kind of standard length songs and do their thing. And I don't think they I don't think the length of them fit in way too differently from where, what we saw on Have, Have One On Me. Mm-hmm. Was your favorite song off of Divers? Or it was, was not. Was it off of Yeast? Nope. Milk-Eyed Mender? Nope. It was on Have One On Me. Oh, was it? It was. Okay. I know. It's surprising to you. It is I was. Surprising. I didn't want to tell you because I figured you'd be surprised. You I two don't care, it. and that's fine. But I thought he'd wow, be surprised by it. Wow, I can't believe it. it. <laughs> wow, you I have to be a dick stake, about it. But I, I mean, take stake in knowing whose favorite song is on which album. I knew Jared was going to be on steak. Milk-Eyed Mender. So my favorite song, I think, and this is... I'll admit to you that this was difficult because I found favorites on every album. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, and each of my favorites I thought were pretty good. And even on Have One On Me, I found one, and it was Easy, the opener. Easy was your favorite? Yep. It's so hard to pick like a section of any of her songs. That's out. what I was gonna say. There's just no like definitive like starting and stopping point for any of her music. It all just is very flowy. Yep. It all goes together very well. You could like you could jump in at any point in the album, and I feel like you would be listening to an appropriate place in an album. Absolutely. I could probably choose a point of that song I liked most. Sure. But it would take me having to listen to it like twice before I could figure out where it is. Right. So. Yeah. Dax, did you say what your favorite album was? I don't know that I'd have a favorite favorite album. I, I guess it would be Milk Eyed Mender. Okay. So you and Jared both enjoyed the first album quite a bit, which I think makes sense. It sounds like an, a, an album that would have made sense for the two of you, 
I guess. Which, again, is not a bad thing. I think when I say that, it makes it sound like it's a bad thing, but it's not a bad I thing. I feel like when you say it's not a bad thing, it implies it's a bad thing. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like you would have taken an offense. I'd be like, ah, uh, yes, of course, that album is very huge, Jared. Well, compared to Jared, I would. You don't want to be compared with what? Jared? No. <laughs> How dare you? I'm kidding, bud. It does make sense that both of those are ones that you like. And actually, last week, when we were done recording, and Caleb played a song, he played y'all's favorite song. Mm-hmm. I did. Has a little sampling, so it's not super <laughs> surprising. He, I think he put it in your brain. I knew what they were going to like. Yeah. So I always do. I know you so well. Um, I mean, which makes sense considering we've spent the last like year talking about our taste in music is really what this show is, is just like, yeah, I like this kind of thing in the music. So like, I think I would know at this point what kind of music you're going to like and what music you're not going to like. But, uh, do we have any other thoughts about Newsom in general at this point in time? Or do we feel like we're actually pretty satisfied with what we've said about her? She had a song with the roots. Ah, you'd like to talk about that? Yeah. Actually, they sampled her song on that track and then she sang her sample yes the book of ride on was a song that they sampled yes and the song is called ride on called ride on that's right ride on ride on ride on that's my, i think that's my favorite song on that album That's really good. That's a good sample. It right is there. good. The roots are very boo, not boo, boo, well. Boo, boo, boo. I, think. I don't think so, but okay. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I, I guess sampling kind of falls in the. I realm think of we've. It. I think we've actually included that under the definition, but as a purist, it wasn't there to begin with. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I feel like the roots are not very well respected in the way that they should be. They're like today they're thought of like Jimmy Fallon's band. That's so like, sad. How yeah. is that what the roots have been like? They shouldn't have taken that gig. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon sucks. I don't know. I think they should have taken that gig. I'm sure they've made a lot of money at this point in their career. And a lot of exposure and a lot of creativity. They can do yes. whatever they want every single night, play whatever song they want to like have somebody like whatever song that somebody comes out to. They do a lot of, you know, like bits with him and stuff. The uh, children's musical instrument thingy that they right. do is really cool. Like, this is the most exposure they've probably ever gotten in their entire oh, career. At what cost? At what cost? Well, I mean, we'll talk, soul, we'll talk about show. this on the Roots episode, guys. <clears throat> you know, they're going to eventually do a Roots I just episode. want you to know, and this doesn't have to remain, that they stole the children's instrument thing from Jack Black because he plays. A sac- saxophone. Yes, a children's saxophone with Tenacious D and has done so not only for quite some time, but I believe even on Jimmy Fallon's show, he played it. Newsome. Pitchfork um, likes her albums too. She got best new music on all of them except for the initial release, which was rated, yeah. I believe, a lower eight or something of that nature. I but I can't quite remember. remember. But Let me check. I believe Yeast was the highest rated of hers on there yeah i believe so and then i believe have one on me was also very highly it was rated, the second I and then i believe was, it was divers yeah i think yeast was very very highly rated 
by them. Yeast was given a 9.4 by Pitchfork. There you go. Good album. I've got a little Jared bit. Milk Eyed Mender was given an 8. Exactly. Yeah. On the it's a little low for me. I agree. I gave all of her albums a high 8. Yeah. And then uh, either either high 8 or low 9. It's definitely a little low for me. I wasn't I was not happy with that. Yeah. I'll admit. I've got a Jared bit. This reminds me of Jared. There is a Welsh indie pop group. I say indie pop because they're labeled as pop, but in reality they're just kind of indie. They kind of remind what they remind me of actually is a mixture between Cat Power and Always called Joanna Gruesome. Oh my. And their name was taken from Joanna Newsome. And I'll tell you, the music's not bad. I listen to the top five songs. Pretty all right. Pitchfork gives them mid sevens. Not too bad. That's a Jared bit for you. I don't have a tune jingle to put in there, but... Cat Power's another one that you got a reminds song, me of Joanna Newsome. You got a song from Joanna Gruesome you'd like to play? Uh, yeah, hold on. Let me look at their top five. Well, look uh, right I'll next to you. Choose Wussy Void, oh. Anti-Parent, Cowboy Killers, Sugar Crush. All right, oh, let me tell you what I want. Secret I want surprises. last year, because you'll notice, anyone who goes and looks, you'll notice the top ones are from their first album. And there's actually, I listened to them in that order, and there's a, a huge production increase on Peanut Butter than there is on the first album. So okay. let's listen to last year. For fans of the music of Joanna Newsome, it's going to be a real easy sell on Joanna Gruesome. Exactly. I'm all about that. They're known for their energetic live shows, as well as their forthright feminist and anti-homophobic views. Love it. So there we go. Joanna Gruesome, you've got a sell from us. You got it. Way to go, like... Way to go, gang. I almost said boys, but there's a woman in there as well. So The Gruesome She could be one of the boys. All right, way to go, boys. With an I. Boy and a Z, that's fine. Boys. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was fun. That is. I fun. thought I'd lighten the mood with a with oh, a Jared. Yes, it did. I liked that. It's light in here. She was also the narrator on in the film Inherent Vice, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Truth. Who I believe he also directed two of her music videos, so they Correct. have a bit of a working relationship, which is an odd relationship to have. You would not imagine that. Uh, Joanna Newsom would Didn't have... did he direct Punch Drunk Love? I believe so. Yeah, he's got some movies. Uh, I thought Punch Drunk movies. Love was a different one, actually. I'm sorry to have to tell you, but it may not be. I don't know. No, you're correct. You're correct. Thank you. Yes. Make sure to keep that in, that you're wrong, and I was right. I'll put it in. <laughs> I'll put, make sure it's in there. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. We have been listening to and talking about Joanna Newsom. And next week, we're going to pump up the jams to Sleater Kenny. Instead of, you know, listening to this like nice light stuff, we're going we're gonna to be a little, little, little harder and stuff. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye.